Our scripture today is, uh, the, I should say, our scriptures are the two main scriptures where we find information about deacons. And I would invite you to stand in, in uh, honor of God's word as we read this scripture. The first is found in the book of Acts, and it describes the story that I just told to the children. It's uh, captured in verses 1 through 7 of Acts 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty." But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And then the next passage is from Paul's first letter to Timothy, the third chapter, verses 8 through 13. And this captures the qualifications for deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his most precious word. You may be seated. Let us come before the Lord in prayer. Father God, today and every day, may our words be your words. May our thoughts be your thoughts. And may our deeds be those things that you would have us do. Amen. So we're going to take a little bit of a break this week from the story of Abraham in our series, Taking the Next Step. But we're still going to be thinking about and talking about taking the next step. And today, we first are going to consider the office of deacon and what the next step is for PFC. Uh, you know, as we somewhat redefine the role of deaconing and as we reorganize the work of the deacon board in light of our new PFC constitution. But we also want to have you consider uh, what the next step might be for you in, in your walk with Christ. If we're not taking the next step in our walk, then we're standing still, right? Uh, And when we stand still, we have a tendency to uh, kind of stagnate a little bit, perhaps. Uh, Things begin to decline. And you see, we not only do 
our own selves a disservice by not taking the next step, by not figuring out what's next in our walk, but we also are doing detriment to the body, the body of Christ, you know, the church. Uh, Those who are called to serve in the office of deacon have been recognized as maturing Christians, those who have shown growth and have a more complete understanding of, of what it is to be a Christian. But no one has arrived. All right, let's make that very clear. We are all still growing. We're all still progressing. So as we examine the scriptures regarding deacons, I would encourage us all not to go on autopilot this morning and think, well, that's not for me. I don't have to pay attention to that. Uh, It applies to all maturing Christians. If you're a part of this body, it applies to you. I don't know if you realize this or not, but Uh, This year, 2017, is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. October 31st, 1517 was when Martin Luther, and I'm not talking about Martin Luther King Jr., okay, Martin Luther, the first Martin Luther, nailed his 95 points for discussion on the church doors in Wittenberg, Germany. Uh, All Luther really wanted to do was to spark a discussion about some of the practices of the established church, the Catholic church, that he couldn't find in Scripture. He couldn't find any biblical basis for some of the practices in the established church of that day. And those discussions, he thought, were going to bring people together. (laughs) Exactly. It did not happen that way. You know, instead, Luther's questions sparked this huge uh, religious, theological Uh, political, cultural, uh, even intellectual uh, uh, upheaval. It splintered Catholic Europe. And one of the concepts that Luther believed in and was a huge part of the Protestant Reformation was the priesthood of all believers. Now what that means is that through Christ we have direct access to God. That we don't, for the forgiveness of our sins, we don't have to go through a priest. Jesus Christ is our high priest himself. But the priesthood of all believers means more than that. It also means that we are all ministers. Okay? It means that we're all, we all have a ministry. We are called to serve in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, the time of the Protestant Reformation was filled with turmoil and upheaval. That's putting it mildly. It's believed that Germany lost 20% of its population uh, in the fighting that resulted from the Protestant Reformation in the years following. You know, it created an environment of protest, but it was also an environment that encouraged questioning and thinking as well. And nothing was spared, the scrutiny of those who were considering what the Bible said. The Reformation also sparked the Anabaptist movement, of which we are a part, the Church of the Brethren. And among other things, the Anabaptists believe that you should wait to be baptized until you can make that decision for yourself. They examined the Scripture, and they said that they didn't believe that the New Testament taught infant baptism. And later, in fact, about almost 200 years later, another movement, the Pietistic movement, uh, came along. And the Church of the Brethren actually came out of those two movements, the Anabaptist movement and the Pietistic movement. 
Together, these two movements were called restorationist movements. You see, they were trying to restore the early church that we find in the Bible, the Acts church that we were talking about during the children's sermon this morning. And to do this, like Luther, they went back to the original source. They used the Scripture as a means of determining what it was that they believed, what it was that they practiced in that early church as well. So they studied the church that's found in Acts, and they also looked at Paul's letters. As much as possible, they wanted to follow the teachings of Christ. If Jesus had something to say about it, that was a real plus, and that would certainly come first. And they modeled their way of living after the, what Jesus had to say and also uh, what the early Acts church did. Now, at PFC, we are continuing the work of Jesus, as the Church of the Brethren slogan or motto says. And we're also continuing the, the work that was started by the Anabaptists. We are trying to make decisions and to do church in light of Jesus and in light of the early Acts church. But to be perfectly truthful, the Church of the Brethren, of which we are a part, got off the mark somewhere along the way. And at one point in time, uh, congregations in the Church of the Brethren were all elder-led. It was usually by a single elder, but all were elder-led. And then, you know, you had the American Revolution, and a new government was instituted, and a democratic republic was put into place, and that had a profound effect, naturally. You know, it created, first of all, the United States of America, but it also had a profound effect even on the Church of the Brethren. And over time, congregations in the Church of the Brethren became congregationally led rather than elder-led. Okay? It's important for us to understand that. And decisions began to be made by voting and by majority rule. And that sounds natural for us as Americans. I mean, that's how we elect our officials and so on, how the legislators decide on what laws are to be made. But it's, well, it's not biblical. It is not biblical. And by the late 1950s, the early 1960s, the office of elder was all but gone. And it had been replaced by another position called the moderator. And the moderator was known as the head of the corporation. That doesn't sound like a church. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a business, doesn't it? Um, so, and the moderator would chair the congregational meetings and so on. So really, what we're trying to do, what we're attempting to do at PFC, is to return to that biblical model for doing church. And that's uh, why we become an elder-led congregation, why we're in the process of reorganizing and reestablishing the deacon board. And, and I do have to say that the Church of the Brethren model permits for this kind of change to take place. We're a very democratic <laughs> denomination, and so it is permi permissible for us to be making these changes. And we've been informing our leadership in the, the district about all of the different changes that we have been making. Before I go any further, though, with this message, I really want to express appreciation on behalf of the congregation for those who have served as deacons for a number of years and for those who have decided to no longer serve. Uh, I would like to really recognize Betty Holland and Dave and Liz Simon and also uh, Don Trauger, I don't think Don's here today, and Harry and Leona Yeager also. 
Uh, these individuals have not only served selflessly, but they have served faithfully, and some of them have served for many, many, many years. Uh, they've also assisted greatly in going through this transition process that we're going through, and they have helped us plan and to organize on how to best move forward. Now, they've decided at this point in time to not continue in the office of deacon, but their past service and their example is certainly an inspiration to us. And I know that they will continue to assist in the transition. And I also know that they're going to continue to serve their Lord and Savior as well. So we thank you very much for your service. Yes, it's very appropriate. So what I'd like to do today is examine a little bit more in more close detail uh, the scriptures that describe the origin of the office of deacon as well as review the biblical qualifications for the office. And I'll also be talking a little bit about the new and expanded role of the deacons here at PFC and the reorganization of the, the deacon board. And I'm going to announce individuals that we have uh, been in conversation with who have agreed to serve in the office of deacon. Um, now, to discover the origin of the position, we go back to that, eight, that sixth chapter, rather, in Acts, and we find out, as I described in the children's sermon, that there was this problem, and the apostles were just on overload. They couldn't do it all. They were trying to, but there was a group of widows that were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So they got together. They decided that their main calling... Their main role in the new church was to pray, was to preach, and to teach. And they, it wasn't that waiting tables was beneath them. They had already been doing that. But they decided that they needed to focus more of their time and attention on the praying, preaching, and teaching part and turn other, those responsibilities over to the seven that they would uh, find. Now, if we look at our passage uh, for today, we see in verse 3 that they selected those who were of good repute, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. So those are the three qualifications that are given in Acts 6. Now notice that they just didn't pick anybody. And they didn't pick anybody who was just willing to do it, who said, me, 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 pick me. They went through a process to pick the best qualified folks, those who had a good track record, those who had a good reputation, in other words. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, they led a Spirit-led or a Spirit-inspired life and they had wisdom. And we have to ask the question, all of this to just wait on tables? I mean, really, did they have to raise the bar that high? And the answer to that is yes. Obviously, this was viewed as an important task, and it wasn't just slinging hash. You know, It wasn't just plopping a sandwich down and a bag of chips in front of the, the widows. This was a ministry. It was a definite ministry that they had. They had to be sensitive. They had to be good listeners. They had to be uh, listening to the emotional needs, perhaps the material needs that these widows had. You know, in fact, uh, even though these uh, seven deacons were lay individuals, they were set apart, and they were prayed over, and they had uh, the apostles laid their hands on them. And that symbolized, you know, the indwelling or the filling of the Holy Spirit and that they were also being set apart for this special responsibility. Now, as far as other responsibilities in that early Jerusalem church 
and also in other churches that had deacons, and we know that there were other deacons in other churches, we really don't know. We don't know everything that the the deacons did in those days. We do know that there were a number of deacons. We know that there were both men and women deacons. We know that their purpose was mainly to serve, to show caring to those who were in need. Now, in addition to the qualifications of being reputable, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom, there are other qualifications that are mentioned in the New Testament that I read for you in 1 Timothy, the third chapter. So let's take a closer look at these qualifications. Now, in this first verse of our passage, verse 8, it has the word likewise, deacons likewise. What that's referring to are the qualifications for elders that come in verses 1 through 7. So they're saying, just like the elders, deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So that likewise refers to the elders. Uh, Someone who is worthy of respect is what they're saying. That's what dignified means, and that applies to both groups. Now, someone who is uh, not uh, double-tongued, what is a double-tongued person? Well, you know, the Indians used to say, the Native Americans, you speak with a forked tongue. Um, You know, the person who says one thing and means something else, or they say one thing to one person and say something else to another. That almost sounds like a politician, doesn't it? And the deacon office is not supposed to be a political office. There's no spin on what we are to say. Uh, there, someone who is double-tongued lacked credibility, and I think that's really the, the main point here. Now, when you first read the next qualification, not addicted to much wine, you have to ask, is it okay then to be addicted to a little wine? <laughs> I mean, that was the logical question that I ask anyway. But the issue here is not drinking. It is discipline and self-control. That's really what this quality is really talking about. Uh, a deacon, and all of us really, should be controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by external substances or influences. Now, there's a similar characteristic that concludes verse 8, not greedy for dishonest gain. And you could interpret this as, uh, you know, an aspect of power or some kind of a control issue. But this is really about uh, money. The word gain really refers to money. If a person is a lover of money, uh, he or she should not be a deacon. All right, we move on to verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, this one takes, it's a short one, but it takes a little bit of a dissection to get at the, the meaning. At first glance, we might think that it has to do with one's faith or belief, and it does, but there's more. There is more to it. The mystery of the faith is just one of many ways in which the Apostle Paul referred to the gospel. And it's true. The deacons are to hold on to the gospel without wavering. And this verse says, though, with a clear conscience. Now, if you don't have a clear conscience, what do you have? You have guilt, right? So, what they're really saying is that you shouldn't have any guilt. You shouldn't have any sin in your life. You you should address that sin. You should confess that sin and have it be taken care of. Uh, Paul is saying that the deacons really have to have a sound faith, but that's not enough. They have to have a life that matches what they believe. Uh, uh, Faith in order to be real, 
must be expressed in both words and in one's deeds. Okay, let's look at verse 10. And let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now, there's no hazing that takes place when people come in to a a deacon's. There's no test that they have to perform. But it says that there's this period of testing. It just doesn't say what it is. It doesn't say not only what it is, but it doesn't say how long that period should be for. Now, I'm sure Paul had heard of the verses in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. In fact, fact, over in Romans 3, he quotes them. No one is righteous, no, not one. Now, simply put, there is no one who is blameless. So how is this supposed to be? Deacons then, they have to prove themselves blameless. Well, I only know of one who was blameless. That was Jesus himself. We all sin. And the only way to become blameless, which we can do, right, is to repent of our sin and seek forgiveness, to be forgiven of that sin. The forgiveness that Christ made possible on his, with his sacrifice on the cross. We are not looking for people without sin to become deacons. That would be a very short list, right? But rather those who have properly addressed their sin, becoming blameless by accepting the gift of God's forgiveness through his son. All right, verse 11. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So there's another likewise here. The same qualities for the men apply to the women. Now, there is no doubt that there were female deacons in the early church. Paul entrusted a deacon whose name was Phoebe to deliver the letter to the church at Rome. We wouldn't have the book of Romans if it weren't for Phoebe taking on that responsibility. Uh, And the Greek in verse 11 can be interpreted the women also. It can be the wives also, but it can also be the women. There's some debate about that. And while the intention of this verse is not 100% clear, we do know that Paul recognized Phoebe as a deacon. Uh, Notice the women are to possess these same high qualities of the men. Dignified. In other words, they're supposed to be worthy of respect, not slanderers. The topic of speech is again mentioned here. You know, for the men it was referred to as being double-tongued. Sober or serious-minded. Faithful in all things. And that means both having a strong faith and living it in our daily interactions. In verse 12, we go on, it says, let, the, uh, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. A deacon is someone who, if married, is viewed as being faithful and committed to their spouse. It goes without saying that a deacon should be above reproach in matters pertaining to persons of the opposite sex. And the second half of verse 12 has caused many to personally question whether or not they should be a deacon. Now, as any parent knows, maintaining a godly home is no guarantee of having godly kids, right? I mean, let's face it. Uh, You know, we've all had that experience. Uh, There is no guarantee that having a godly home is going to result in a problem-free child-raising experience. And to affirm this, all you have to do is look at the families in the Bible. There is a whole lot of dysfunction of families in the Bible. 
I mean, it go, the list is quite uh, extensive. We are not looking for perfect families. Again, the list would be short, right? Very short. They don't even exist. So, how one responds to the challenges of parenting is often the most important thing. That defines the level to which one or both parents manage their children and their households well. All parents are called to provide their children with a godly home and godly upbringing. That applies to everybody. And finally, verse 13 talks about the benefits of being called and serving in the capacity of deacon. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this good standing for themselves phrase could also be misinterpreted. This verse could be interpreted that uh, serving as a deacon brings credit to oneself. Those who serve well as deacons provide examples, yes, but not of themselves. Instead, they provide examples of the Holy Spirit, God working in and through them and doing good through them. They provide a witness to all that God can do. And Paul talked about us carrying the the treasure of the good news in clay jars. You know, clay jar is not a perfect container. It leaks. It's easily broken. You know, it's not secure. And why did he say that? Well, it's because the life of Jesus working in us might be the one that is revealed. Not us, but Jesus working in us, that that is what people would see. And it also says in verse 13 that deaconing builds your faith, your confidence in the faith. Well, this same passage uh, includes qualifications for elders. They only differ slightly. And in fact, the same characteristics apply to both. In reality, we really have to agree that they apply to all Christians, to all believers, to all of us. And we should all strive for these qualities, and they should characterize our lives and our day-to-day interactions. In fact, in our new constitution, it calls for PFC members to be able to participate in the ministries of the deacons, the deacon board. Uh, And and it it creates a, a broader area of folks to carry out the ministries of that deacon board. And I'll mention more of the specifics of that in just a few minutes. At this point, though, I do have to mention that it well may be that you feel called in some way to serve in this capacity, in some type of a caring ministry, for caring for the flock. And if that's the case, if you feel a call in that area, I would encourage you to talk to one of the ministers or one of the elders, one of the deacons, as you continue to discern whether or not you are really and truly being called in this way. Maybe becoming a deacon or at least connecting to one of the caring ministries that are a part of the deacon board is the next step for you. And we are all called. You know, all of us are called. We really are. And too many times, you know, I unfortunately have advised people who are looking for a a church to go. I tell them to, you know, go somewhere where you will be fed. And other people have, have told me, you know, we stopped going to our old church because we didn't feel that we were being 
fed. And, and it sounds reasonable. It sounds logical. I mean, you should be part of a church where you are spiritually fed. But you see, that is only part. That's only really half of the equation. You know, as I've talked to many of these individuals, not all of them, but many of them, I've discovered that they really didn't get involved in the life of that body, of the life of that congregation. Instead, they were only looking for what they could get from connecting to the body, only what they could get out of it, rather than what they could contribute. And folks, the last time I checked, that is the definition of a parasite. what you can get from the body. You know, a parasite only takes from the host, the host body. It doesn't contribute. Well, it might contribute. Sometimes it contributes to the demise of the body, right? We don't come to church to be fed. Oh, it's heresy, right? But that, we don't. That's not our main reason why we come to church. Paul explained it very clearly. He said that the church has apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers. Why? Let's look at the rest of that. We'll go into verse 12. To equip his people for works of service. That's why we're here. We're here to get equipped to serve. Now, we have to be fed. That's what the equip part is. But then we have to serve. We have to feed. Now, you have to be fed, right? That's important. But that's not the main reason that we're here. It's to serve. Oh, and and what, what did he say also? So that the body of Christ may be built up. Makes sense, right? To build the body up. And how long are we supposed to do that? Well, let's go into verse 13. Until we all reach unity. I don't think that's happened yet. Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's our goal. And that is a lofty goal. That is a lofty goal. You know, there's a lot to do. The question is, you know, what is the work that God has equipped you to do? What are the gifts that he's given you to use to further his kingdom? We are all called to feed as well as be fed. We're all called. Now, traditionally, the deacons at PFC have focused on a ministry of prayer, also a visitation, those who are in the hospital, those who are sick or shut in in some way, caring for those who have physical or material needs, as well as spiritual needs, and facilitating the ordinance of the church. The deacons help to prepare for love feast, communion, baptism, uh, baby dedication, those kinds of things. Now, generally speaking and biblically speaking, elders have the responsibility of oversight, discerning the direction for the congregation through Bible study, through prayer, and they're responsible for the spiritual well-being of the congregation. In contrast, or I guess I really should say in complement, the deacons are responsible for the physical well-being of the congregation, those caring ministries. And as I mentioned earlier, the same calling to care for others is extended to all members of the body. 
Now, the new PFC Constitution specifically takes any function or ministry of the church that has to do with caring, with meeting physical needs or coordinating or organizing logistics, and has placed those responsibilities under the deacons. And the current deacons, those who are continuing in the role of deacons, and that would be Jim Holland and also Nancy Elliott Carter, who is uh, out with the kids for junior church, uh, as well as those who are, are not continuing on, met to discuss how these responsibilities could be organized. And in doing so, uh, we came up with six different teams. And these are the six teams that we came up with. There is a handout at the Information Center that I duplicated this morning. And uh, if you'd like a copy of this, it has more detailed information, uh, please pick it up. But the six teams, first of all, are nurture. And this has to do with congregational care, congregational caregiving, prayer, visitation, specifically hospital visits, uh, connecting with the prayer chain, coordinating that ministry. The next team is service. That would be service within the church, and that relates to those carrying out the ordinances that I mentioned, like baptism, the communion services, baby dedication, uh, anointing when requested by the elders, and so on. And then community outreach is another one of the teams. Those would be local missions and local ministries, uh, things like um, the uh, Project Outreach, the Salvation Army, Army Ministry, Operation Backpack, the Halloween outreach that we have, connecting with Coventry Glen. And the, the Deacon Board also has a benevolence board uh, that helps financially people who are in need, and that would come under the community outreach. The next team is World Missions. We support a number of missions, and that team of the deacons would be mostly concerned with uh, corresponding with the, the missionaries, getting updates from them, communicating them to the, the congregation, and so on, as well as establishing the annual budget for mission support. And then these are two new areas that were added to the deacons in our new constitution. Facilities, taking care of our physical plant. We already have a trustee board. And the, the deacons will have representation on the trustee board. The trustees are going to continue to operate much as they have had in the past. And then finally, employment and human relations would be policies governing the management of employees here at the church. And there would be a deacon representative on the staffing board, which is also another group that is already in place, and they will continue to function as well. But that does come under the deacon board. In addition to these six teams, there would be a deacon representative council that would meet every other month, uh, and the chairs, the deacon chairs of these six teams would come together, as well as any other deacons uh, who were interested in attending another meeting, and they would uh, review the progress that's being made, the work that's being done, approve policies, create a budget for the deacons, and so on. So that's the purpose of that deacon representative council. Now, we've been in the process of discerning a number of indi different individuals and couples also. And the elders and deacons have extended a call to them. Many hours of prayer and discussion have led to these callings. And those who have been approached have also spent much time, uh, deliberate time, in prayer and in discernment. And those individuals who expressed interest and at this point in time have accepted the call to become deacons are as follows. Uh, Dave and Dara Smith, and they are on vacation. They're not with us today. Uh, Deb Swist, 
I don't think I did see Deb. Oh, there you are. Deb, would you stand up, please? Deb is back there. Ron and Sharon Whistler, invite you to stand also. Tricia Reedy Jones. And Damien Volanino. There's Damien back there. Thank you all very much. Now, the next step after announcing these names, which I just did, <laughs> to the congregation is to present them for affirmation by the congregation, and we're looking at uh, scheduling a meeting sometime in September to do that. I should also note that we're uh, continuing discussions with other individuals, so there may be more who are added to the list that I just shared with you. Now, each of these individuals or couples is willing to serve, but each of them also have questions. And they each and every one also have some uncertainties. And what do you think I told them? That's normal. That is normal. You know, uh, when, when God calls us, he doesn't give us all the answers. I think it's so he doesn't scare us. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. But he doesn't give us all of the answers. Because, you know, we can't, we're so finite in our thinking. You know, we think that we can plan ahead and all this other stuff. We have such a limited focus. And God has this global alpha to omega, beginning to end focus. He knows the answers, and that is really what's important. Uh, but as I said, they are all willing to serve. And that's the most important thing. And they've also demonstrated a lifestyle of caring and of service. You know, so how about, thank you, so how about you, you know? You, each and every one of you. What's your next step? What are the gifts? What are the gifts that God has given you? Perhaps you're not using them. Perhaps he wants you to use them in a new and different way. What is God, through the Holy Spirit, communicating to you? What is, what is he calling you to do? Where is he calling you to serve? Who is he calling you to serve? You've been fed. You are being fed. Now, how will you feed others? How will you share what you've been given and feed others in the name of Christ? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the office of deacon. We thank you for those who have served in this capacity, as well as those who will continue to serve as deacons. We especially lift up those individuals who have accepted your call, and we thank you for the efforts that they have already demonstrated to care for your body and be servant leaders. We ask that you would continue to speak to them and to speak to those who are continuing to consider this call and that you would lead them. Lead them as they're contemplating the call that has been extended to them. And in that same light, we lift up each person in this congregation. May we all respond to our calling to love and serve you, Father, and may we remember that we do that by loving and serving others. We ask this in Jesus' name. And now receive the benediction, is, which is from uh, Paul's farewell in Acts 20 to the uh, church in Ephesus. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, 
which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Depart in peace. Amen. Have a great week.